Welcome to Today on Broadway for Friday, April 10th, 2020. I'm Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. I am here by myself again because we're going to be bringing you another interview, but this one is not from me. This is from our good friend James Marino, who spoke to innovative director Sammy Canold on March 31st, so realize that that was a little over a week ago, so some of the things they talk about might be slightly dated, but you'll get the picture. We don't have a ton of news to get into, but before we do, don't forget to head over to patreon.com slash broadwayradio, broadwayradio.com slash patreon. If you have the means and the interest to support us over there, we would greatly appreciate it. These times are hard for everybody and any little bit that you can do to help keep Broadway Radio running, we would appreciate it. All right, let's get into the news. It was announced earlier this week that due to the current New York theater shutdown, the 65th annual Drama Desk Awards would not be happening as originally planned. We all knew that. Instead, what they're going to be doing is they will be having an online announcement of winners on May 31st. Instead of the season ending on April 21st as it would have normally, the revised season end date will now be March 11th. That means that all shows that had their opening nights by that date will be eligible for the 2019-2020 season. Further details are still being worked out, but they do plan on moving forward with the awards online. And once they have all of those plans figured out, we will let you know about that. Something that we do have all of the information for is coming up on April 11th. That is tomorrow night, Saturday. There will be a star-studded free event to celebrate the fourth night of Passover at www.saturdaynightsater.com or on BuzzFeed's Tasty YouTube page. It'll begin at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The virtual Passover Seder will raise funds for the CDC Foundation's Coronavirus Emergency Response Fund. There are a ton of stars, including many Broadway names, including Jason Alexander, Cynthia Erivo, Harvey Firestein, Judith Light, Alan Menken, Adina Menzel, Billy Porter, Ben Platt, and Stephen Schwartz, as well as Josh Groban and Richard Kind, Skylar Aston, Shoshana Bean, Rachel Brosnahan, Fran Drescher, Darren Chris, Deborah Messing, uh, a ton of other folks. So if you are going to be celebrating Passover, uh, the fourth night of Passover on Saturday anyway, maybe head over to PassoverNightSater.com. Something else that you will want to tune into next week on, I think that is Tuesday of next week, Warner Media will be airing a special half-hour episode called Sesame Street, Elmo's Playdate, on HBO, HBO Latino, TBS, TNT, True TV, Cartoon Network, and Boomerang. This half-hour special will feature Elmo, Grover, Cookie Monster, Abby Cadabby, that's a new one from when I was a kid, and some famous faces including Lin-Manuel Miranda, Tracy Ellis Ross, Anne Hathaway, and more. We also learned on Thursday that Playwrights Horizons was launching a new scripted short fiction podcast series called Soundstage. Episode 1 is currently out. It is by playwright Heather Christian. Episode 2 by Robert O'Hara will be out next Thursday, April 16th, and then they will be released bi-weekly after that with Jordan Harrison, Quine Wins, Kirsten Child, Milo Kramer, Jeremy O'Harris, Lucas Hanath, Carlos Murillo, Jenny Schwartz, and Kate Tarker being some of the initial playwrights involved. I've subscribed to uh, Soundstage, but I have not yet listened, so I will definitely let you know if this is something to check out. But as you all know, I am a big fan of audio fiction, um, so I'm sure that this will be right up my alley. All right, my recommendation for today, my feel-good recommendation, is this interview with James and Sammy coming up. So take a listen to that and have a wonderful weekend. Take care of yourself, take care of each other, wash your hands, stay inside, and don't worry about not putting on pants for the next few days. We'll talk to you on Monday. Hey, Sammy, welcome back to Broadway Radio. How have you been? I've been great. Thank you so much for having me back. 
Oh, it's been forever. It's 2016. We last spoke to you. The show ran on July 4th, 2016. My clever way of giving a tribute to Ragtime because you were doing Ragtime at Ellis and it was coming up. So how did that go for you? Um, it, it, it was so wonderful. Uh, I think, you know, it's, it's so wild to think about, yeah. uh, uh, you know, just to like, to, to rewind, um, a, a brain and think it's been four years. Um, but, uh, it, it was amazing. I think, you know, it was such a, a special project to me to be able to pair that story with that site. And, um, I think one of the things that was so meaningful was that the project just sort of snowballed originally it was meant to be a bunch of friends around a piano singing songs from ragtime and then you know as as we got closer it just sort of grew and grew and grew and it had all these amazing folks who agreed to participate in it and um 450 people came to the island and saw it and um you know there was so much uh, beautiful attention and 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 um you know conversation around it so it it meant a lot and I'm so thrilled it happened and so thrilled you covered it. So thank you. So, I mean, uh, word of mouth on it was, was it was an amazing, amazing experience. Uh, and, uh, you know, you were the director of it. I, uh, you know, there's only so much you can control of that whole experience there. Um, uh, you know, what, what are the chances that this is going to become maybe a, an occasional thing that they will do or... I don't even know. You know, it's 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 interesting because in the essentially four years since we since we did it, we've had multiple um, attempts to to do it in full because what we did was a was a concert. Um, and it was like the most logistically complicated thing I've ever done and will ever do. <laughs> um, <laughs> Whenever you have to schedule 450 people to be transported by boat as part of your theatrical duties, then yes. that's, that, that's complicated. <laughs> complicated. Um, but, you know, it's it's uh, despite that, it, it was a concert. It wasn't a it wasn't a full production. And it is my like greatest dream to be able to do the, the full production um, on the island. And I think that, you know, that has two main complications. One being that, um, uh, sound on the island isn't, uh, there's not really a sound system that is equipped for musical theater performance. Ah, okay. We have to basically create our own system, mm-hmm. which is something that we've been working on over the last few years. Um, and then the other component is, is that it's very pricey to do. Um, in the sense that, you know, you can't really make money off of a show where you have to um, charter a ferry, <laughs> everybody to the show. Um, and and so it really takes a massive philanthropic effort, which, um, you know, in the past year, we've um, been sort of um, mobilizing on that front. And, and I'm hopeful that it could happen again. I think obviously... Now we're on a bit of a pause on everything, so sure. who knows what will happen. But um, we we were moving in a great direction, and so I'm I'm excited. Um, you know, once everything sort of gets up and running again, to see if if that could continue. More recently, you uh, directed the new production of Evita at the at City Center. So I remember reading. Uh, pieces about uh, interviews with you a number of years ago saying that you really wanted to direct Evita and you got to do it. So 
tell us how that whole happened. How did it come together? You know, it's, um, it's, it's actually kind of through, um, ragtime because, um, uh, Jack Rutel, who, who mm-hmm. runs yeah. the artist director of encores, um, had heard about, um, the ragtime, a ragtime workshop that we did about two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got an email from him out of the blue, um, that was the, the sweetest email ever. He is the sweetest human ever. Um, and the email was essentially like, hi, my name is Jack Rattel. I run this thing called Encores. And I was like, <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> it is only a deep dream of mine to work for you. Um, uh, and he said, do you want to come in and meet about Oh, you know, shows that you could do with us at Encores. And I wrote back in five seconds and said, yes, please. Um, and uh, we met and it was this amazing thing because I'm, I'm a very like impatient person. <laughs> um, but what, what ended up happening with is that he and I had basically six months worth of meetings where like every two, three weeks, we'd get together and just talk about shows we loved. And of course there was an agenda, which was finding a show that I could do at Encores, but it was so much more like artistically driven than how you'd imagine that process might go down. And incidentally, the first show that I mentioned was Avita because it is my ultimate dream show. And, um, uh, and we sort of just like had a nice conversation about it and then moved on because I didn't really think that was going to be of interest for them. And then six months into our conversations, something happened. And Jack said, um, what if we circle back to Avita?" And I just lit up and um, wow. it, it was the total dream because I, I thought, you know, Avita was the show that I was going to get to do when I was 50 and it was going to be like, ah, now I have reached the apex <laughs> of my career. Here we go. It's time to do Avita finally. And and um and I and I got to do it as sort of like the first full production I got to do in New York. And and that was deeply, deeply meaningful. So um I'm grateful. Wow. So I uh, it's uh, unbelievable to say these words. Jack Vertel, <laughs> former artistic director of Encores. Yes. Ugh, ugh. Isn't that, uh, isn't that something? But amazing. Uh, you know, he's still gonna. Uh, he's still going to stay involved, and he's yeah. still at Jujamson and doing other other things. So it's really, uh, it's really wonderful that he has planned a orderly transition. Yeah. And Lear is extraordinary. And, and I think that like, I, my heart just breaks for Jack that he had such a unceremonious end to what was, I think it was 20 years. I mean, it's just, yeah. and, and I know that, you know, they're going to make love life happen. Um, so it, it won't, you know, this isn't the end, but yeah. Um, I just, it's, it's makes me so sad for a man who worked so, so hard. Um, uh, but, this- but- to, uh, you mentioned Lear, Lear de Bessonet, the new artistic director of, yes. of Encores. And as you mentioned, uh, they're going to make, um, make Love Life um, in, in I, I 
think it's going to be next season or, or, and also they're talking, they don't know about Millie yet, but, uh, but Love Life is something that many, many theater fans, uh, are dying to see because you'd never see productions of Love Life. So, um, what was it like to, you know, in the compressed schedule of working in encores under, uh, under, uh, you know, uh, uh, different contracts than normally you would have in other developmental schedules. What was it like for you? Um, It was crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, And I think that, you know, I was so freaked out about the 10 days of it all. I mean, everybody just goes around saying 10 days, 10 days, 10 days, Um, that our team was so unbelievably prepped um, in that not only did we have everything you know, prepped ahead of, uh, of time, as I think for any on-course process you would, but we got, got the gift of working with um, students from, from PACE um, during our pre-production period. So we actually staged the entire show with the students from PACE before we started the, the professional process, wow. which means that we were able to see a version of the show and, and sort of iterate on it. And I think that in retrospect, the giant mistake we made thinking, you know, that we were young and invincible um, was that we put the pace process, we backed it right up to the professional process. Oh, uh-huh. so we didn't even have a day off between the 10 days of pace and the 10 days of regular encores. And um, we all just died. <laughs> 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 um, uh, and it was like, wow, this is, brutal um and and i think that 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 sort of like deflation of energy was something that i didn't really expect because i just i normally just go and go and go um and i think the other thing that was hard about it which is that i don't know that everybody that comes to see shows at city center is aware of the fact that they're made in 10 days um and i think that like a lot of people or like you know my family who's not in theater they mm. came and were like, ah, oh, it's so great to see you here working on Broadway. And I was like, no, no, this isn't Broadway. It looks like Broadway. So I understand why you're fooled. But um, it, but you have to understand, this is like, this is has nowhere near the budget of a Broadway show, nowhere near the time that a Broadway show has. We haven't, you know, had a workshop. We have, you know, so I think it's, to me, it was sort of reconciling watching people watch the show knowing that their expectations were in a different place than where I wanted them to be. Um, that was, that was difficult. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so happy with the experience and what we got to do. And I feel so lucky. I just like, it sends you for a total roller coaster ride. <laughs> so 10 days, 10 days, 10 days is, is very common as you, uh, have mentioned. That's when you actually get your hands on the cast and in a room and, you're working uh, eight hours a day trying to put a show on its feet in 10 days, but your process starts much earlier than that. So how much lead time did you get in pre-production and, and how did you assemble your team? We knew that we were doing the show in, we knew very late, actually. We didn't, we didn't find out until for certain May. Um, and uh, for full perspective, we went into rehearsal end of October. So relatively speaking, compared to other shows that I've done, that's a very short amount of time to have. You lost your whole summer to that. 
Yeah, I mean, in a, in a beautiful, positive way, in the sense yeah. that like I'd always wanted to do a Vita, so I was like, well, here are my twenty-seven blocking diagrams that I've been sitting <laughs> on for years. Um, so I guess the, the 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 short amount of prep was okay. Um, I think that what was trickier was like the audition, squeezing the audition process in. Mm. Um, and, and having that primarily be over the summer when a lot of people are out of town and, um, things like that, but like, you know, it, it all worked out. Um, and I think that I sort of, even though we didn't, it wasn't official until May, or in other words, we didn't officially get the rights until May. Um, uh, I, I knew who I wanted to work on it. Um, uh, earlier because Janine, Tesori, who's also um, works at City Center, she and Jack were the the two advisors on on the show, and she and Jack and I started conversations about how to build the artistic team around the show very early, um, and so uh, immediately once we got the rights, um, uh, it was this funny process because uh, Android Weber's company, the really useful group. Um, in a, in a very um, amazing and like thought out way has um, their hands on every uh, major production of their work in the world. Uh, um, and so every creative team member that we hired had to be approved by um, Andrew's team. Mm. Um, so there was a, there was a multi-step process of like our having the conversation and then going to, to them and saying, this is why we think this person, this is why we think this person, this is why we think this person. And then saying, yes, you can hire that person. Maybe reconsider this person. How about this person? Um, which I appreciated because they know the work better than anybody. And so it, it sort of made for um, a, a better production um, at the end of the day. So you got your, uh, you had a chance to work with City Center, uh and you also had some amazing chances to work with, we, you know, before uh, Ragtime and Ellis, you talked about ART, the American mm-hmm. Repertory Theater in Cambridge. Uh, you also worked at the O'Neill Center, um, and you mm-hmm. also worked at New York Theater Workshop. So you're hitting these major uh, nonprofits that develop uh, great theater. So tell us about New York Theater Workshop. You did uh, Endlings. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's so, it means so much to hear that, that list. Cause I, I feel very lucky. Um, uh, yeah, I, I directed a play, uh, called Endlings and it was the second we the second production of the play was at New York theater workshop this winter. Um, and, uh, very sadly we, we opened on March 9th, but we closed on March, I guess it would be 16th. No, we, we closed the night after we opened. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, we, we got, we, we, we opened, we had a day off, did two shows. And then those were the last two shows we did. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's, and I, I feel more so for the actors than I, than I do for anybody. I mean, or, or the actors and, and the stage management team and the crew and, sure. the yeah. and everybody who was, who was contracted to work through the end of, of the, of the run. And, you know, mostly just because you, you prepare to, to, to do a show in a very, I think like religious way and to, to have that process, um, sort of 
have the rug pulled out from under you without even knowing that you're doing your closing show um, is so sad. And obviously I, 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 I 10,000% understand the decision. And, and, oh yeah, and, no, absolutely. Um, there, no question there. And, and I'm so grateful that the workshop has been so supportive of, you know, everybody who, who was on payroll and, and whatnot. So, um, but to actually answer your question, um, the, the working there was amazing. I mean, it's just like when you're, when you're creating a show in the same theater where rent was born, you're like, <laughs> I am so fortunate. And, um, uh, I think one of the things that I love about working there is that they are so exceptionally artist centric, um, in the sense that like, of course they came in and gave us notes and, and were involved in the process. But really at the end of the day, what their mission was, was saying, what do you artists want to create and how can we get there? Which I think is, um, not a, a, as far as I understand it, like a very common, um, paradigm of how you make things in the way that it was. And, and it's, you know, I work a lot in the commercial sphere and I understand that that's not how you can't, like, it's not possible to totally work that way in the commercial sphere, but it was a, it was an exciting opportunity to work in a way that was really about the vision for the art. And, um, uh, you know, that it was sort of that and that alone. You had two other, uh, incarnations of endlings, uh, at, at ART and at, at the O'Neill center. Um, what is it like, uh, to keep coming back to that work and build upon what you've done before. It's, it's amazing. And I think that, you know, one of the things that the, this play endlings is so personal for Celine, who is the playwright and it, it is very much about her and her life. And I think that for me, much of the development process was um, getting to know her and getting to know what she wanted the play to be because it, the play was not, it, it, it was meant, it, it was, it's a very like idiosyncratic uh, off the grid play in a very intentional way. It was really important for me to understand um, her, what she wanted and what the piece wanted. And I think our time at Playwrights Realm and our time at the O'Neill um, was really key for that. And then we got to implement it at ART and then we got to iterate and, and do it again at the workshop. So, um, you know, and I, and I think that ART was a really critical step um, for the play. I mean, every step was critical, but I think um, the play is so physically complex and um, ART uniquely was game to take, a risk on, on the work, um, and say, uh, we know that this is crazy, but we're going to do it anyway, because we believe in what the piece is saying. Um, and I'm, I'm really grateful for that. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see, I was actually scheduled to see endlings. Um, and then of course, uh, uh, everything shut down in New York. So tell us a little bit about, the play itself. It, these Korean women are, are, wh what are they? They are gathering food from the sea for who? 
Um, so they, uh, it depends. Sometimes they, they eat it themselves and then sometimes they sell it and sometimes they do both. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, in the case of the women in the play, they do both. Um, but, uh, I went to Korea to do research for the play and we met a group of women who, um, ran a restaurant and they would harvest the, the seafood from the sea and they would, um, then, you know, uh, during the day they would do that. And then at night they would cook it in their restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the women are called, um, hanyos, um, and they're, uh, free divers and they dive, uh, over 60 feet deep into the, into the ocean and they can hold their breath for insane amounts of time. It's believed that, um, you know, the, the ones who can hold their breath, uh, the longest can hold it for, um, uh, up to 20 minutes. Wow. Um, it's just incredible. And, um, they, uh, are women only and they, um, they do it until they die. Um, and there's no such thing as retiring from this profession. Um, and so, uh, most of the women who are doing it in Korea today are in their seventies, eighties and nineties because, um, fewer and fewer young women are choosing to go into the profession. So, um, the oldest woman who's doing it in Korea today is 98 years old. Um, and it's just, you know, I I was just so taken by, um, their lives and also what it means to, to tell their story, you know, in, in a play in America, um, and, and all the complications that go along with that. And that's, you know, really what, what Celine was digging into. And, um, uh, we had a, we had a long and amazing road with the play and, um, we're, we're grateful for it. So, you cut no corners on the research there. <laughs> you, you got on a plane and went to Korea and yeah. uh, and met with these people. And uh, so what is that? Um, uh, who has who has guided you through the process of the development of Sammy Kennold as a director? <laughs> um, I have, I would say like three main mentors who have been so key, um, uh, for me, um, uh, Diane Paulus, who I worked for mm-hmm. as an assistant and as an associate. And then I worked at her theater as, as a director. Um, and then Rachel Chapkin, who I worked for as an assistant and as an associate, um, both of whom taught me essentially how to be a director. Um, and, uh, and I think that I don't, direct in an identical way to either of them. Um, but I have taken bits and pieces and their guidance really is so key. Um, just in terms of like, you know, when you're a young director, there's so many crossroads that you find yourself at and who you call to say, what do I do? Um, and, uh, for me, it's them. And then, um, Diane Borger, who is the executive producer at the ART, um, who basically I can like trace every job I've had back to her. <laughs> um, and I, I'm certainly not alone in being able to to do that because she's just such a, she's a yenta of, of theater and, and, and knows how to sort of propel careers and um, uh, help people. And, and she actually, she went to Korea with me. Um, it was just the two of us. Wow. Um, and we, we did our research together. Um, and 
So I think, you know, it, 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 it takes a, a village to, to raise a theater person. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my mom is in theater as well. And, um, she'd kill me for not mentioning her. Um, so, um, I, 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 she is certainly of all those women, the one I call the most. Um, uh, uh, but, uh, I think, you know, I've been so lucky to have so many different people, you know, that, that group sort of being like the core obvious group, but at any given moment in time, you know, it's like Jack or Janine or the folks at the workshop or the folks at ART, you know, it's, it's just, um, this theater is so, or this theater, this, um, this community is, uh, can be so nurturing. And I feel, um, very lucky to be the beneficiary of that. I, I, I think about Diane Paulus's, uh, swimming with watermelons at the Vineyard yes. Theater many, many, many years ago. I think you, you were like two years old when this happened. <laughs> I've, 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 I've not seen it, but I've certainly heard stories about it. And, um, <laughs> but it, it, it's sort of, uh, you know, she, she's another one that is, is so immersive in the things that she does, which uh, I, I, I knew that, uh, you had a relationship with her through ART um, when we had spoken, and you did Violet on a Bus and other stuff up, at, and you got your master's up at up at Cambridge as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, I didn't realize that she was <laughs> she gone to Korea with you. I mean, well, you're, the, the other Diane, Diane, the other yeah. Diane. Yeah. Uh, but um, Diane Pellis wanted to come. It just scheduled. oh, I'm sure. <laughs> and then Randy's got to go and then Randy's got to get the kids, you know, get the kids and things like um, that. So, uh, you know, in all of this that has happened, um, you also, uh, picked up a bunch of acclaim and one of them is, uh, Forbes, Forbes magazines, 30 under 30 in Hollywood and entertainment, the class of 2019. Uh, was that a shock for you? Yeah, I mean, it was something that I'd heard of, but never, um, you know, it, it wasn't anything I ever like considered myself. Yeah. Like, um, and uh, ART nominated me. Actually, that's that's how. Mm-hmm. And then you get an email out of the blue that's like, "You've been nominated," <laughs> um, and then you, once you're nominated, if you make it to like the semifinals, then they have you basically write an application. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I wrote, I wrote an application, but, um, uh, yeah, it's a huge honor and, and it means a lot. And I, I think, um, you know, I, uh, I was surprised and, and, and grateful and it's, it's led to like some amazing conversations with other folks who are, um, on the list, um, and, uh, getting to know them and, and, um, you know, obviously the list is like not comprehensive of all the awesome sure. young who are doing things out there, but um, it does it does mean a lot to me um, uh, to be on it. Uh, some other things that were, were surprising to me when I was doing my research was that uh, you are uh, y- your work with Cirque du Soleil. <laughs> how, how did that come up? Yeah. Um, I, so it, it honestly, like all roads lead back to ART for me because, um, when the year that we talked in 2016, when I was working at ART full time, um, ART was at that point run by three women named Diane, which I, everybody mm-hmm. 
hilarious. Um, it was Diane Paulus, um, who everybody knows, Diane Borger, who's the executive producer, who many people know, uh, and then uh, Diane Quinn, who uh, came in from, she, she had previously worked at Cirque um, as, I think she was the CFO, and she came in to be, um, I guess her, I don't, I don't remember what her title was at ART, but it was like the, the trifecta of them that ran ART. <laughs> so I got to know her that year. And then um, her time at ART was cut short because she got this incredible offer uh, to come back to, um, I think her title now at Cirque is like chief creative officer. Wow. Um, which is, is major. And, um, I think it was like the first time a, a woman had ever occupied that position. And, um, she just, she really, um, you know, I know circus is, is having a tough moment right now, but in, until then was really, um, steering the creative vision of, of that company. And, um, she started, uh, what she called a, a, a think tank essentially, of a group of artists who she had met mostly through her time at ART um, from different disciplines. And she flew us to Montreal and she created this group called the Creative Cognoscenti. And um, we sort of acted as a body that would brainstorm with her about not just the future of Cirque, but the future of of art. Um, Mm. And it was amazing because I feel like as an artist, so rarely do I get to have conversations that are um, uh, just sort of general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In a way. Um, they're usually like deadline specific or project specific. And this was really like, what is the future of, of, of art as a whole? And it wasn't just brainstorming with a bunch of theater people. It was brainstorming with like, there was a woman who does aerial sculpture in this group and there was a rap artist and so it was like we were all crossing disciplines and having these exciting conversations. And um, that's how I got introduced to the company. And then I started developing a bunch of um, different uh, projects for them, um, uh, which are obviously on hold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of things that are on hold right now, you had upcoming Carmen at Rose Hall um, yeah. with the Master Voices. Do you do you know if it's been officially postponed or any any information about that? Yeah, it's funny. Um, I mean, uh, so we would have opened tomorrow, um, or not tomorrow, the day after. Um, oh, but I, I thought it was in June or something like that. Oh. So originally we were we were supposed to go into rehearsal uh, March 16th and then we would have opened April 2nd which is um Thursday. They postponed it to uh June but it's at the same time as another workshop that I'm supposed to be doing so uh, we're trying to figure out how that's going to work and if it's going to work. Okay. Uh, because I think, you know, when, when these things get pushed, um, there's a bit of a domino effect. And I think nobody really knows if June is a realistic timeline for anything. So, you know, I'm sort of looking at that timing being like, well, the opera could happen and the workshop could happen, or one could happen without the other, or neither could happen. Mm -hmm. So, um, I know everybody's sort of playing this, this guessing game, but, um, I, I hope it'll come to be. And, 
Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it'll come to be regardless. I hope I will get to do it. Um, it was um, going to be the first opera I got to direct. So I was very excited for it. So um, ho- hopefully that'll, that'll happen. Do you have uh, a background in performance? You know, as a, as a kid, I was in like the musicals at my middle school and um, I, I auditioned for some kid Broadway show roles. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, mostly because I was just dying to be in the theater and nobody says like, okay, you're 12, you can direct. Um, <laughs> so, um, Somebody ought to tell my daughter. <laughs> well, she can direct. Um, uh, I, th- I think you could, you know, but I think there's just, you don't see the path. Um, and I was lucky to see the path earlier than most because my parents work in entertainment, but, you know, I think that uh, uh, I tried to perform for a while and then I just realized I was never going to be as talented as necessary. (laughs) Well, what uh, led me to ask that question was that I saw your TED talk (laughs) and your TED talk was great. And I was like, uh, you know, we're going to be seeing, uh, did we miss out on something because Sammy went down the director's route? (laughs) Thank you. No, I was, I was so freaked out about it because I was like, I've never memorized anything in my life. Like I was in one, I remember being in an August Wilson class in college where we had to memorize sides. And I just, every time we would do um, presentations in the class, I would just go up on my lines and I was like, I'm just not cut out for this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And so I was terrified for that Ted talk, but um, I I don't know, somehow memorized it. Um, But uh, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable speaking, like doing, you know, Mm -hmm public speaking. And I think that's mostly because when I was in high school, I did high school debate. Um, and so like public speaking was a huge part of my high school life. Um, but, uh, but I don't, I don't, I don't have any ability, nor do I think (laughs) it would be good for anybody else if I decided to, um, try to foray into acting. Um, so I respect actors enormously and I recognize that I don't have what they have. <laughs> okay. So to wrap it up for our conversation, uh, you've had a couple of weeks, uh, in social distancing yeah. and, uh, and who knows how much more time we have before and, and, and see people face to face again. What are you doing with your time? Uh, are you... Are you planning lots of different things? Are you just taking some decompression time? What tell us what your your kind of your everyday schedule is? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to be disciplined about it and I'm usually very motivated and disciplined and that's sort of all gone out the window, but I tend <laughs> um uh but I think for me, you know, I I the way that I keep track of things is I have a running to-do list and I haven't gotten to the bottom of that to-do list since eighth grade. And um, uh, my goal is to get to the bottom of that to-do list. Cause I was like, if there's any time to, to get to the bottom of a to-do list, it's right now while everything is paused. So I think it, for me, it's a lot of things that, you know, the, the life of a freelance director is so, um, is, is kind of crazy time-wise in that, like, you know, particularly for like, for four years, I, I had a survival job while I was directing. 
Um, and so the hours that you're putting in, you're just not sleeping. You're not, you know, and I think that every project that I did in the past four or five years, I look back on it and I'm like, ah, shoot, I wish I had had time to read that book mm. or like I wish I had time to watch that movie before diving in. Um, and there's always more prep that you want to do. So for me, what I'm trying to do is say like, okay, um, you know, once this is all over, if I'm lucky, I'll get to do these number of projects that have been on my list. Um, and what are the books that I want to make sure I've read and what are the films that I want to make sure I've watched? And, you know, can I, um, stage a few scenes from each of these shows, even though I don't know what the set is yet, just to like have started the ball rolling on them so that when, you know, a year from now, if I'm so lucky as to get to to do them, um, like had been planned, um, I will, um, uh, be able to sort of pull that prep out of a drawer and say like, ah, I really was good to myself in quarantine and I prepared for this. (laughs) Um, so, you know, it's, it's a lot of that. And I think, um, uh, trying to stay sane. And I think I'm, I'm, I feel lucky that, you know, as much as I can complain and as sad as I am that, you know, a lot of gigs have sort of floated away. Um, the fact that I have a roof over my head and I have food and I'm healthy is, um, something I'm, I'm grateful for. And I'm, I'm sort of looking every day for ways that I can help, um, uh, those who, who, who don't have that. Um, or even those who like, you know, I was just thinking about it, like had this happened for me in the lifespan of, of my theatrical life, you know, five years ago, it would have been so devastating because I, I didn't have a career to speak of and I didn't have, I didn't, I didn't have any jobs to to support Mm -hmm. myself. And so it really makes me hurt for the directors who are just graduating from school now and are looking at the landscape and it's like, what landscape? Um, and, and so I, I feel like it's sort of my obligation to figure out how I can be helpful there if I can be helpful there. Um, because you know, it's so, so easily could, could have been me. Wow. That's that's such an incarnation of the entire Broadway community, and everybody saying out there, "I'm I'm fine, I'm fine. How can I help you?" Which has been my experience in the last three weeks, which is so awesome that we live in such a great community. Yeah. Well, Sammy, thank you so much for joining us on Broadway Radio thank again. <laughs> Listeners can catch up with Sammy Kennold at sammykennold.com and at Sammy Kennold on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, we'll have all of that in the show notes as well. Sammy, let's not wait four years to the next one, okay? <laughs> wonderful. Hopefully the next time we'll... we'll... <laughs> We'll all be very busy and happy.